Well, this morning, uh, glad that you're here, glad that you made it to uh, service today. Uh, we're going to move into a discussion that is extremely vital for the day in which we live. We're going to be dealing with spiritual warfare. Now, if you haven't already, if you would, in your bulletin, you'll find a study guide. would love for you to take that out. You can grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack to make it a little easier for you to take notes and to follow along. And uh, let's jump in. A couple of months ago, a lady who is in the auditorium this morning came to me and uh, she said, would you consider doing a study on the matter of spiritual warfare? And um, I said, you know what, I'm already working on it. I've already been thinking about it, been, been researching a little bit, and uh, it's just a matter now of waiting on God's timing. And uh, today was certainly God's timing. I had something else entirely intended and, and God just kept bringing me back to this thought time after time after time. And so finally, I yielded to that and understood, okay, I see what you're, I see what you're doing here. Spiritual warfare is such an incredible thing. Our, our verse that you see on the top of your sheet, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's interesting the way he words it. It, it is to note that a battle of any kind is difficult. Fighting in a war, fighting in a, a battle with an enemy that we can see is hard. But at least with an enemy we can see, we know from where the punches are coming, right? We can, we can prepare, we can brace, we can equip ourselves to battle the enemy that is before us. But it's a little more difficult when you cannot see the enemy. As I was growing up, one of the things that I always thought is, I hope that I can get the power to be invisible someday. And uh, it never happened, believe it or not. Now, sometimes I've felt invisible in places, but uh, I never got the ability to do that. But I can imagine that uh, uh, fighting someone who is invisible would be quite difficult. And so I thought I would have the upper hand in any battle I fought if I was invisible. And that's kind of the way I feel about spiritual warfare, because we're battling an enemy that we cannot see. Cannot see. And to be honest with you, we don't really understand. There's no way we could fully understand the strength and the might of the enemy that we are facing. And so today, I want to draw us to the beginning of this study. Now, I say the beginning because honestly, I, I thought that we would work our way through it all together, but last night I decided it's not going to happen. We'll be here for 50 minutes or an hour, and most of you will be asleep or starving to death by then, and I will have lost you, and so we're not going to try to, to complete the study today. We'll just get a good start on it, and we'll work into it uh, again next week if that's the way the Lord continues to lead. The way we want to approach this is by looking at three very important things. Now, this is not fill in for your sheet just yet, so hang on. You may want to write these down, but this is not what will go in the blanks provided. But what we want to look at is we want to see, first of all, the strength of the enemy. We want to get a glimpse at the weapons that the enemy uses. And we want to see how he is very, very effective in the use of these weapons. 
And then number two, we want to see our own weaknesses. We want to see our own weaknesses. What we have to understand is that the enemy knows how to use his weapons. And one of the ways he has found very effective is to look for our weaknesses. Look for the chinks in our armor, the gaps in the armor. And he will begin then to direct his weaponry toward the weaknesses. So it's so very important that we understand what our weaknesses are. We understand what his weapons are. And then, number three, we also then begin to understand how we overcome both of those. How do we overcome the enemy's weapons? How do we overcome our own weaknesses? It's actually one and the same. When we find out how to do one, we're going to be doing the other as well. We're going to be strengthening our weaknesses because if we can strengthen the weaknesses, then the enemy has much less opportunity to become victorious in those areas. So that's what we're going to work toward. We're going to begin with the first point, and we're going to cover... Thoughts one and two, the weapons of the enemy and the weaknesses of us. And then next week, we're going to then see, okay, how do I overcome it? It's unfortunate that it worked out this way. I'm just going to be honest with you. In my opinion, I know God has a plan for it, but it's unfortunate because today what we're going to do is we're going to present there's a big problem. And we're going to see how the enemy attacks us and we're going to see our weaknesses and then we're just going to kind of leave it hanging there. We're going to get a short answer as to, okay, how do we overcome it? But we're not really going to indulge that. We're not really going to dig into it until next week. So we're going to kind of be left hanging here with this problem. And uh, so in my opinion, that's a little bit unfortunate. But if you will bear with me, we'll make our way through this and come to a place next week that I believe we will be greatly strengthened, greatly Strengthen. Now, we're talking today to people who are part of the family of God. If you're not part of the family of God, you kind of get a pass today. You just, you just kind of get to relax and, and sit back and listen. Not really going to be geared towards you, so you can just enjoy the service. Don't put up any guards or anything, whatever. You can just enjoy the time here. As we focus now on those of us who are part of the family of God. So, where do we begin? Number one. Point number one, your first fill-in is the enemy's primary weapons. The enemy's primary weapons. Now, I say primary because of the fact that there are a lot of places and a lot of weaponry that the enemy has at his disposal. For example, one that we're not going to talk about today, the enemy will use physical problems. We use physical ailments as a means of spiritual warfare. We see that spelled out in the life of Job, don't we? If you're familiar with the book of Job, you know that, that Satan told God, he said, well, if you'll let me affect him physically, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, okay, but don't kill him. And what did, what did Satan do? He went and he touched him. He covered his body in boils. This was spiritual warfare at its finest. We're not going to talk about it. He also works through the death of loved ones, the death of family members. We see that also in the life of Job, how Satan took out all of his children. Oh, what a horrible thought. All of his children died in one day. Satan was attacking him. It was spiritual warfare. But what I do want us to look at are these Three particular weapons that the enemy uses so well and in fact has found them so successful that he's been using them for thousands of years. 
And what we're going to see is that this first and second one are weapons that he used on the very first couple that ever lived on the earth. That's how far back it goes. He's seen it be so successful down through the years that he has continued the process of using it. No need to reinvent the wheel when something is successful, right? When something is so effective that hits such a niche of weakness in our lives that he can use it over and over and over and over again. And so, what are we talking about? Number one, or letter A on your study guide, first fill in under the point is the word deception. Deception. The enemy wants to deceive. Now, to deceive means to make someone believe a lie. The enemy wants so much for us to believe something that isn't true. Because he knows when he does that, he leads us into error and he gains a stronghold in our mind. A stronghold. Now, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is an is a, is a incorrect pattern of thinking. Stronghold is an incorrect pattern of thinking. It's where the enemy has placed in your mind something that is incorrect concerning God, concerning His promises, or concerning His Word. It's an incorrect pattern of thinking to where he gets a hold and can cause us to do things that we would not normally do if we did not believe the lie. And so the enemy develops a stronghold. Case in point, Eve. You may remember the story, but in Genesis chapter 2, God comes to Adam and Eve, places them in the Garden of Eden, and he tells them, you can eat of any of the trees, the fruit of any of the trees in the whole garden, except that one in the middle. That one I want you to stay away from, because the day you eat of it is the day that you will surely die. And so it appears that they stayed clear of that tree. But then when we come to Genesis chapter 3, and we don't really know how much time has elapsed between the two, whether it was a day, it was a month, it was a year, it was a hundred years, we don't know. We really don't know. But we know that God in chapter 2 tells them to stay away from it. In chapter 3, Satan comes to Eve, and he begins the process of trying to deceive her. He says, has God really told you not to eat of that tree? And you remember what Eve says? She said, yes. In fact, he told us not to even look at it. Don't touch it. Stay away from it. Keep it out of your mind. And Satan replied, but Eve, that's not right. God knows that the day you eat of it, you're not going to die, but you're going to become like him. You're going to become like God. You're going to know the difference in good and evil. And all of a sudden, there was a seed planted. There was a stronghold developed because Eve, instead of believing the truth of God, instead of believing what God had told them, if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. Eve accepted what Satan told her as truth instead and believed, wait a minute, God has led us wrong. He's led us wrongly because he doesn't want us to be like him. Now that becomes a real problem when we move then to the second part of this. Letter A, he uses the weapon of deception. Letter B, he uses the weapon of temptation. 
temptation. You normally see these going hand in hand. You normally see that temptation follows deception, that Satan will use deception in order to to get us to believe a lie, to plant a seed of doubt in our minds, to get a stronghold over what's happening, and then he will follow it with temptation. So he tells Eve, you won't surely die. No. No, you're not going to die. God has led you astray. The seed is planted. The stronghold is grabbed. So then he can begin doing things in her mind and through her actions that she would not normally have done had he not had this stronghold, right? And what does he do? He begins then to make her think that this fruit is something to be desired. It appears for all of this time, however long it may have been, that Eve didn't even take note of the tree. That she didn't look at it. She didn't observe it. She wasn't wondering about it. She wasn't curious about it. She wasn't enticed by it. But all of a sudden, something has changed. And what is that? She has been deceived. She's believed a lie about God. She's believed a lie about God's Word. And now all of a sudden the enemy can cause her to begin to look at something that is sinful as something that is desired. And the trap slams shut. Isn't that the way the enemy works? He wants us to believe a lie about God. He wants us to think that that God has lied to us. We're in this mess. We're in, in these problems. We're dealing with these difficulties. We're going through hell on earth. And the enemy begins to whisper, God doesn't care about you. If God really cared about you, he wouldn't leave you in the middle of this mess. And instead of believing the truth about God, where he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, instead we begin to believe the lie of the enemy. And he plants that seed of doubt and we embrace that seed of doubt and he gets a stronghold in our mind so that then he can begin to shift us to do what he wants us to do. Instead of trusting God, instead of relying upon God, we downgrade the position of God. And when we see that we can't trust God to take care of us, we can't trust God to deliver us from this problem, what do we do? We all of a sudden elevate ourselves to the position of God. I guess I've got to figure this out myself. I guess I've got to figure it out myself. Or we assume someone else is that God. Because they're the ones that's going to deliver me from my problems. This is what's going to happen in order to get me out of this trouble. It's the same in situations regarding deep sin or or surface sin that will lead to deeper sin in our lives. The devil wants us to believe that, that what God said about that sin doesn't really apply to us. Or he wants us to believe that what God told us about that somehow is a gray area and I can get by. I've got a way to work around it. He wants to lead us to believe a lie about God's word so that he then has a stronghold in our minds and in our thoughts that he can use to cause us to do things that we would not normally do did we not believe the lie. Satan is at work. 
And all of a sudden, he's got the stronghold. The trap slams shut. Now, as we look at these things, we have to understand that this doesn't just apply to people in the Bible. It doesn't just apply to Adam and Eve. It didn't just apply to Cain and Abel. It didn't just apply to others that were led into committing sin. But it also applies to us. We also are people who are easily led astray. We're people who are so easily deceived. And a lot of us are right there on the edge. And the trap is getting ready to slam shut. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man... But the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. So this path is a way that looks right to me. It looks like it's going to provide something that I'm looking for. It looks like it's going to provide me with pleasure or whatever it may be because that's what I think I need in my life. But the truth is the end of that path is death and destruction. Now why am I on that path in the first place? Because I have been deceived into believing something false about God. If I believed the truth about God, I would never be on that path. If I believed the truth about God, I would have never subjected myself to these things that the enemy has brought in my way that's going to lead me to death and destruction. I would have never gone there. But all of a sudden, stronghold in my mind, because I believe deception has brought about the opportunity to be tempted to do things that I have no business doing that are going to lead me to a place of total destruction. And the trout slams shut. Now, here's the blessing of this. I'm probably not the only one that's been caught in that trap. I imagine if we went through the auditorium, a lot of us could say, you know what? I've been there too. Been there too. But the blessing of this is that God has given us an incredible promise. It says in, in 1 John that if we will confess our sin then He, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. Okay, so here we are. We've been deceived. Stronghold has been developed. We have been tempted. We've caved in and the trap slammed shut. We, we understood the situation. We recognized our need of forgiveness. We cried out to God in confession with the desire to turn away from that sin, to trust Him only. And God forgives us. But here's where letter C comes into play. 
Letter C, we then see the accusations. We then see the accusations. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 says that Satan is an accuser of men. We know that he is an accuser of men to Almighty God, that he goes really to slander us, to, uh, to tell the truth about us, but to, to really slam us before God, to ridicule God with what we do here on earth, I believe. But I believe beside that, that he also does the same thing to us as well. That Satan then turns around and he begins to accuse us to us. You think God could really forgive you? Do you, do you remember what you just did? you think that God could possibly forgive that? I mean, look at how you brought shame on the body of Christ. Look at how you brought shame on God himself. How could he ever forgive something like that? And look what's happening. Once again, he's using deception to put a stronghold in our lives in something that he wants to use against us. God can't forgive you. There's no way. Now, the ultimate goal of the enemy is what? Destruction. The Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy us. He walks about like a roaring lion looking to what? Devour. And so the enemy is out for destruction. And so his ultimate goal is to destroy our lives, to destroy our testimonies. But when he can't accomplish that completely, his next best tactic is to render us useless before God. Ineffective before God. If he can keep us believing God can't forgive us, if he can keep us doubting God's word that he will forgive us, then how effective can we possibly be around those that need a witness for Christ? I mean, think about it. How effective would it be for me to tell someone that God wants to forgive them when I can't believe that God forgives me? How effective can I really be in that situation? How effective can I be in, in, in telling someone how much God loves them and, and how much God will stand by them when I'm not really sure that God's doing that in my own life? How effective can I be? Satan wants to destroy our lives and he wants to make us ineffective in the process. So what do we do about that? You know, here's why I say it's, it's unfortunate that we end our discussion here. Because really what we need to see is how do I overcome this? What are the steps that's involved in it? But what I want to do is just give you the very short answer. We'll detail it out next week. But I want to give you the very short answer and the very short answer is this. I make the Word of God a priority in my life. I make the Word of God a priority in my life. Now what happens when I do that? When I begin to absorb the Word of God, Psalm 119 verse 11, Your Word I've hidden in my heart so that I won't sin against you. 
When I make the Word of God a priority in my life, when I absorb the Word of God, when I take it in and make it a, 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 a situation that I cannot do without it, then all of a sudden when the enemy comes with his lies, I've got something to counter that lie. I have the truth of God's Word. If I want to counter that which is counterfeit, I use that which is right to do it. I use the real thing. And so I get to know God's Word. I indulge myself in God's Word. I, I learn God's Word. I make it a priority in my life so that when the enemy begins to whisper in my ear, I can do like Jesus did when he was tested. When the enemy came to him, he said, Wait a minute. The Word of God says... The enemy comes with deception... And it is very effective. And then he tacks on temptation because he's already got us heading down the road he wants us to. And the trap is slammed. And if we understand where we are, we confess it before God, he forgives us. Then the enemy wants to use an additional tactic of, of accusations to keep us from being effective before God. And the solution for us is the Word of God, the truth of God, engaging God's Word. So let me ask you, were you able to see this morning weaknesses in your life? Yeah, I do see. Okay, yeah, I'm, really, I'm really weak in my knowledge of the Scripture, and therefore it's been easy for the enemy to, to deceive me. And because of this deception, because of this lack of knowledge of God, he, He's tempted me to do some things that I know are absolutely wrong. And yet I've justified them somehow, and here I am, stuck in the middle. Or I see that the enemy has used my past against me. There's a weakness. The enemy will pinpoint those weaknesses to destroy our lives. So then what do we do when we have weaknesses? We surrender ourselves to God. We confess that is sin. And we absorb God's Word on a regular basis. That's what it takes. There's no shortcuts. It's what it takes. You say, well, I come to church once a week, twice a week, three times a week. <clears throat> you know, it's wonderful and it's part of it. But it's not going to get you there. It's not going to get you there. We must absorb God's Word. It must be a priority in our lives. So then are we willing... To put in the effort, to put in the time, to make the Word of God a priority so that we can stand against the attacks of the enemy. Are we willing?